Welcome to Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Have you ever been lost? You may have taken a wrong turn and got off trail and soon night falls and you don't have any light to help guide you. Let's face it, on any given day, we encounter more darkness than we do truth. But God is whispering to us all the time, telling us which way to go, but sometimes the, the outside or the internal voices, they fill our heads. But God does more than just whisper to us. He gives us light. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God loves us so much, he provides a way. His word, only his word is our lamplight. Won't you follow? We've all been there. (laughs) A time when complexity grew like a mountain, trouble multiplied like rabbits, and fear spread like wildfire. We've all been there. And in those times, the details of our lives seemed frantically out of control as the dark clouds hovering over our heads consumed our every thought. And in those moments, the question was not, will the rain fall? The question was, when will the rain fall and for how long? For some, it was just days. For others, weeks, some months, still others, years. As I'm talking right now, some of you online here in this place, you are experiencing rainfall in your lives, and it hurts. And it's in those dark valley seasons when we toss and turn, replaying things over and over again in our minds that various questions surface. Questions like, why this? Why now? Why me? And where's God? And while we ask such questions, we ask them only in our minds at first. We vow to never utter them in public if we could help it. You see, because in the beginning of a difficult season, we're able to actually wear that mask that conceals our inner pain. And so when people ask us how we're doing, we still have the strength needed to kind of force that smile and falsely answer, oh, I'm I'm pretty good. And yet as the storm raged on, the problems grew even more. The mask fell off to reveal that the pain, once internal, had now emerged externally all over our countenance. People could see our pain by, by the way that we walked, by the lack of our eye contact, by the lines on our faces. And then maybe it happened to you. At a low point in your journey, you either heard a sermon somewhere or, or experienced another Christian coming up to you and saying, you know, while I can't feel your pain, I can see it. I'm sorry for everything you're going through right now, but do you know what will help? I mean, rather than toss and turn and wrestle against that storm that you're facing, here is all God wants you to do. And then they quoted that verse where God said, be still and know that I am God. It's a powerful verse. And yet when you heard those words, how did they make you feel? Did they suddenly remove your pain or did they seem somehow out of place compared to the place that you were in? See, I've learned in my life that many Christians have believed that when you face times of trouble, what you need to do is just stop everything and be still. 
It's not bad advice, but when you take a look at the Bible, sometimes you'd wonder, well, but what about those other verses? There are other verses in the Bible that tell us that when we are struggling, we are to mourn. And I don't know about you, but I've mourned before when my father passed, and it was hard for me to be still when I mourned. The Bible says we're to sing for joy. Isaiah 49, I don't know about you, but when you sing for joy, usually you you move, right? Uh, The Bible says when you're struggling, we're to run into God, our strong and high tower. That's Proverbs 18. I don't know about you, but I've never experienced somebody running who was staying still. The Bible says in the midst of struggle, we are to consider it all joy. James 1. And I, I think that could be a stillness. You could have joy inside in the midst of your pain, but I've never really known a joyful person who stayed in the same place. They're usually on the move. And the Bible says when we face times of trouble, we are to move because God is with us as we pass through the waters and walk through the fire. And so we're either like walking or swimming through the water, through the river to get to the other side, and we're walking through this fire in our lives. And so bottom line, it seems that there are many you know, kind of action-oriented things the Bible says we are to do in difficult times that seem to run contrary to just being still. So maybe being still means something different than we think, or maybe there's something else entirely different going on. I mean, what's the context? Let's take a look. You see, before Psalm 46 says anything about being still, it begins with this caption. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. So Psalm 46 in its entirety is a psalm of praise. So here's the question I want us to think about today. I want you to think about it. It's really important. Given this psalm of praise, does this psalm then describe how to respond at the beginning of a problem? How to respond in the middle of a problem? Or how to respond after the problem has been resolved? Well, let's find out. Because after the introduction, the psalmist wrote, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. When he was facing his own difficult time, Martin Luther found Psalm 46, and it was based on Psalm 46. He wrote that great hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Martin Luther stood strong because he stood in the strength of the Lord. Because after all, the psalmist wrote, God is our refuge and our strength. Our refuge. Now in the Hebrew, it can mean kind of different things. It can mean finding shelter from a rainstorm, as we see in Isaiah 4 or Job chapter 24. It can also mean avoiding danger in the high hills, as we see in Psalm 104. But most often throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, it means a strong trust or confidence So the beginning then of Psalm 46 is saying that God is the source of our strength. We trust him. We have confidence in him. And even so, where do many Christians turn when the important things of life fall apart? They turn to a friend many times, right? They turn to a parent, pastor, maybe a counselor. And friends, God can certainly use those people to provide a source of strength for you, but can they provide you with all the strength that's needed? Well, probably not. And that's why the psalmist here clarifies things. He says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Friends, there's not a person on the, place of the, you know, on the face of the planet that can be with you through everything, at all times, even when you're facing times of trouble. 
In the Hebrew, it means to be restricted or tied up. To be restricted or tied up. And so the psalmist is pointing to a reality here that we know that we are in trouble, and you know this, right? When you feel like you can't move, or you're afraid to move, or you feel like you're backed up against a corner and, and there's no way out. We've been there. And so we can relate to the beginning of Psalm 46. And then it goes on to say this. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Significant words. And if you take a closer look at the context, some things start to become a little clearer. That this psalm seems to describe events which have already taken place. Now, some have thought differently that it's talking about maybe future situations, but I think as we take a look at this psalm, we're gonna come to see things differently. And I say this partially because of what is provided next in verse four through six. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. Powerful. Psalm 46 here describes the city of God. What is the city of God? Well, in the Old Testament, the city of God was Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And historically, the people in Jerusalem, they were confined, they were restricted, they were cornered because the Assyrian army was camped all around them. It's the Middle East, so water is scarce, but especially scarce usually inside the city walls. And so their enemy thought that thirst would rob them of life before their swords ever would. And yet what they didn't know was that King Hezekiah had built an underground water system which could sustain them for years. It's why the psalm says, the rivers whose streams make glad the city of God. It provided life for them. What does that mean for us? Well, the same God who is for Jerusalem is the same God who is for you. And while it might seem that you're surrounded even by your enemies, God's quiet waters are there to sustain you as well. You see, friends, God nor his character changes. He does not change. He is our refuge and strength in times of trouble. So even though everything seems to shift around us, we need not fear because God is with us. We trust him. He is reliable. He is our refuge. He is our strength. And then come the game-changing words when it comes to understanding this text. Verse 7 and 8. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And here it is. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. And so this is important. The psalmist is inviting people to see what the Lord had already accomplished, previously accomplished. He wasn't looking forward at some situation down the road. He wasn't even looking at his present situation. He was actually looking back. Come and see what the Lord has already done. The desolations he has already brought upon the earth. And in doing this, he was reminding us all of what God already told us, that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Do you believe that? You see, friends, Psalm 46, the psalmist here describes 
past events. And then he continues on. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. As I mentioned earlier, many scholars believe that Psalm 46 actually was referencing a time when the Assyrian army had surrounded them. And this was recorded in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 20 and 21. It says, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. And when he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with the sword. So Psalm 46 verse 8 is a personal invitation to the people of Jerusalem to look at the destruction of their enemies to be reminded of what God had done, of God's past deliverance. And it's only after describing these past events and how God had rescued them from in victory once again that God then gives his people this instruction. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You see, God is saying, now that the battle is over, now that I've delivered you from chaos, now that the pain has subsided, be still. But what do we often do when the problem has been solved and the sky suddenly turns blue? What do we do? We move on. We move on, right? I mean, we might celebrate the moment. We'll tell friends about kind of our newfound freedom, and we move on. And in doing so, we either forget what God has done or take God's deliverance for granted. And in this, may we never forget that forgetfulness does not build our faith. It decreases it. And taking things for granted does not help us rest in God. It actually helps us kind of glory in ourselves, Rather, we are to be still and know that I am God. And I want you to notice the shift here in this passage. It's significant. There's a shift from the psalmist first inviting God's people to remember what God had done for them in the past. And then to God himself calling his children to remember all that he had done for them. And they were to remember all that he had done by being still. Being still. Now, to be still in the Hebrew means to sink. To sink. Like sink down to your knees. So God is saying that, you know, now that I've given you the strength and brought your struggle to an end, don't move on. Don't take my work for granted. Rather, sink deep down into your knees so you can rest and rely on me. And by the way, once you get there deep down into your knees... Stay there a while. Stay there a while. You see, God commanded Israel to sink down and be still because like us, they needed to be reminded that God is on his throne. They needed to be reminded that God has a sovereign plan and a purpose for them and for us. They needed to know that he is always working everything for their good. And they needed to know that despite what they were facing, there's no panic in heaven. God is always in control. So what has troubled you lately? What's caused your heart to fear? And when you look back, have you seen God transform your setback into a comeback? Then sink deep down into your knees and soak in all that God has done for you, friends, by being still. 
And knowing this, why do we choose to do otherwise? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, God's call for us to be still runs contrary to how we kind of operate. We're constantly on the move. We're constantly busy. It helps us feel in control. It helps us to kind of forget things, get our mind on some other things. And yet God says, be still. It runs contrary to our natural human response. And given this, perhaps a New Testament encounter might help us a bit more to understand what's really going on and what our call is here. You see, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, it conveys a time when Jesus experienced an extremely busy day. He had cast out all kinds of demons. He had healed people. He had taught constantly. And while the scriptures don't really say it overtly, it's very clear in the passage that Jesus is needing a time of rest. And that's why he requested that a boat be brought to him so he could escape the crowds that kept pursuing him and just get into the quiet on the water. Maybe go to the other side. And then on the way to the other side of the, you know, the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, this huge storm rolls in. Now, people have you know, kind of read that before and thought, well, come on. I mean, didn't you see that coming? I mean, why would you even go? But I've experienced this. I've actually been on the Sea of Galilee, I think, like maybe six times now, the privilege to be there. And I remember one time, we got in the boat. And this is a boat about 10 times bigger than the boat that Jesus would have gotten in. And we got in with like, you know, 70 people in this big boat. It was a bl beautiful blue sky day. And we get into the boat. You know, we could feel the wind a little bit, but it's a beautiful day. And so we get in the boat. They start taking us across to the other side. And just when we got into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, the wind came something fierce. And suddenly the waves are like six feet tall, eight feet tall, where the boat is rocking. Water is pouring in. People are grabbing the sides of the boat, getting out of their chairs. The chairs are just going from one side to the other, just hitting everything that's in their way. And we were panicked. We were afraid. We couldn't get to the other side. They had to take us to another port. And so their boat is a lot smaller. And so the disciples now, they immediately, they're like freaking out. They're overcoming fear. They think they're going to die. And so they approach Jesus, who is asleep in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the storm, and they approach him with this kind of really annoying question when you stop to think about it. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, what did you think? What did they think that Jesus would say, right? I mean, he'd wake up and say, you know what? I really don't care about you. I just don't. Your fear, not my concern, right? That's why I brought you out here with me to die. And yet in their question, we can see all of us. When the wind and the waves come, we say, God, if you love me, you wouldn't let me go through this. God, if you love me, you'd do something about this. And then he does. Just like Jesus did in that boat, God looks at the wind and the waves in our lives and he says, quiet, be still. And the waters suddenly turn flat as a pancake in response to his command to be still. You see, in the Hebrew, again, it means to sink, like sinking deep down into your knees. But here in the Greek, it takes on a slightly different meaning. To be still means hush. Put it in modern terms, zip it. Don't say anything. But let's face it, while we know that stillness and silence is somehow good for us, we're downright uncomfortable with it. 
We don't really like it. That's why we don't really pursue it. Because in our lives, if we're honest, if we want excitement, we want fulfillment, we go to loud places, don't we? I mean, that's why we go to a football game. It's why we go to a rock concert. It's why we go to an amusement park. It's why we go to a party. I mean, who here has ever attended a party knowing it was going to be a quiet party? We go to loud, exciting places. We bought into the culture. One author put it this way, the media's culture of noise is like giving someone meth or cocaine. It overstimulates, lies to your senses, and then something in you weirdly craves it again, even though before you experienced it, you never realized you desired it. So we often think noise is somehow good for us, while completely misunderstanding what silence can do for us. The author goes on to write, solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversation, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've confessed your sins, you are following him, he's already made you new spiritually. But the problem is we often want to go back to how we used to do things before. And so God is calling us away from embracing our old ways of living in order to really live, to live anew. What does this have to do with Lamplight, this series that we're in? Pretty much everything. You see, Scripture says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so when we submit to Scripture, God says his word operates like two different lights. First is the lamp. And it's not very bright. It provides just enough light for you to take your next step safely. It also helps you to know how to take that next step So when Psalm 46 says to be still, it's saying whatever the world tells you right now to do in response to God moving in your life, do not take that step. Do not go there. Instead, follow God's word and take your next step into stillness. Stillness. For when you do, a much brighter light will illuminate the path before you. It's what the psalmist refers to as the light. It shines a spotlight on the road ahead, the pathway ahead, so you can see where he's taking you. And what is that light showing us? Well, not just the path before us. It's showing us that he is God in all places, at all times, and in all future situations. We just need to trust him. You see, there's benefits to stillness. Never forget this, friends. Stillness reminds us of God's past provision. We just stop everything and go, well, God, look what you've done in my life. Thank you, and you credit him with that. So stillness reminds us of God's past provision, and stillness prepares us for God's future provision. It's past, and it's future-oriented. Basically, seeking deep down into what God has done helps us better remember his strength when the next trouble comes. I'll say that again. Sinking deep down into what God has done helps us better remember his strength when the next trouble comes. So we've been to the New Testament. Now back to the Old Testament, back to David, because David knew this to be true. David was also a writer of many of the Psalms. And what we see is that when he came to King Saul and his desire to fight Goliath, the size of his problem did not bother him at all. You see, David had practiced stillness in his life, and as a result, he remembered God's past provision for his life, and this then helped him to confront the next problem in his life. 
And that's why in response to King Saul's doubt, David said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And then here it is. The Lord who rescued me in the past from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me now from the hand of this Philistine. And God did. Since you know, God had delivered David in the past, David knew that God would deliver him now. You see, stillness reaps all kinds of blessings. So after God has moved in your life, be still. Pause. Because you see, stillness helps us remember what God has done. First lesson. Second, stillness helps us give God the credit for what he has done. Lesson two. Lesson three, stillness helps us give God the credit for all he will do. And fourth lesson, stillness will build a strong faith within you. So be still. Because this kind of stillness, the Bible says, leads to knowing. It says, be still and know that I am God. A friend of mine recently wrote me and says, you know, there's a pretty big gap, though, between like knowing something and like really knowing it. There's a head knowledge we can have about God that comes from our belief, and there's a heart knowledge we can have about God that comes from experiencing God's faithfulness and move in our lives. David had both. And that's why David gave God the credit for things God hadn't even accomplished yet. That's faith, friends. That's worship. That's knowing. So friends, being still and knowing he is God will accomplish the same things for us if we'll embrace it. In fact, we'll accomplish even more when we take a look at the text. Because when we embrace stillness in response to God's past provision, God then tells us that I will be exalted among the nations, that God will be exalted in the earth. So whenever God's strength and provision are made known, God will be made known. So may we never forget that after God has taken us through a time of trouble, others are always watching They're watching what we do. They're watching what we say. They're watching how we respond. And when we respond in stillness, remembering and reflecting on what God has done and praising him for what he has done, God gets the credit. Why? Because in doing so, God is elevated in our eyes. God is elevated through our words. And God is elevated through our lives. And the result will be that others are watching and others then will know that the Lord is God. So being still and knowing he is God is not just about us and our kind of past problem that we face. No, no, no. It's about crediting God and praising him for what he has done so others can get a glimpse of who he is. Big idea. When I am still and know he is God, others will know he is God. Stillness gives God all the glory for his work in the past, for what he's doing right now, and for all he ever will do. So friends, let's be still. Will you close your eyes right now? Online, we're right here in this room. Just wanna ask you some questions. When has God moved in your life? Identify at least one time. 
And how did he move? Where did he move? Now, in this moment, give him thanks. Give him credit. And be still. Friend, what struggles are you facing right now? What challenges cause you to lose sleep at night or rob you of joy during the day? In the stillness of this moment, reflect upon what God has done. You were just thinking about it. And now out of that, give him thanks for all he will do. His future provision in your life. saying, God, I don't see it now. But I know based on how you surprised me in the past, how you've moved in my life in the past, you are working right now. I trust you. Even though I don't see it, I believe in you. You are my refuge. You are my strength. So I will not fear. Instead, I'm gonna be still and know that you are God. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.